every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, our outdoor living hour. Brand new Saturday to the first Saturday of the month. So we're talking farm fresh commodities with Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman Julie Murphy. And we Good try morning. and talk about whatever is coming off of our uh, local farms and ranches so we can connect you, the Arizona consumer, to you know your local commodities, support your local agriculture. You're going to eat anyway. Why not eat something that's coming right out of your backyard? Not only uh, is it fresher than something that's trucked in, but trucking it in and uh, you know, and sometimes we have to avocados. I love avocados. There's an avocado grown in Arizona. <laughs> it's got to be trucked in. So there's a, a larger expense bringing those commodities into state. So the more we can utilize what we grow right here in our great state of Arizona, the better I think it is for not only our consumption, right? But yeah. it supports our supports our local farmers and ranchers. Yes, and, and my Midwest relatives love my Yuma farmers in the winter when they ship all those leafy greens. So (laughs) I'm not, we're not going to give that up. But uh, today I have John Boltz with Desert Premium Farms from Yuma. We made him hop in his tractor and head all the way over to Phoenix. No. How long does that take? That's about a two and a half hour run. Not too bad. What kind of tractor do you drive? (laughs) Well, it's fast. It's a Ford tractor. It's a Ford. (laughs) It's a 16 valve tractor, I'm assuming. Good night. No, but John was gracious enough in his busy uh, season and busy time. And just uh, for point of fact on what's being harvested right now, because we're kind of through cycling through our melon season and the fall season for cantaloupe is also coming up. But uh, wine grapes, uh, several of our wine grape growers are already harvesting for the wine grapes here in August in the peak of the heat. But John... Because, go ahead. Well, and before you jump off, since you mentioned the wine, with your 100 years of Arizona Farm Bureau, you're celebrating with an organic, locally grown beer and wine. Mm -hmm. Yep, Uh, it's the Centennial Red. And by the way, you can uh, get it at the tasting room at Yavapai College, their Southwest Wine Center. Thank you for the props on that, because we just released that and just announced that, and we had to talk to a farmer Friday on it. But today, because our commodity focus is conventional and organic farming, the two methods, I thought, oh, what better person to request than John Boltz with Desert Premium Farms? Because he's, he's utilized and managed and farmed both methods. So that's why we've got him. But we thought we'd, we had you t- here two years ago. But John, we got to be updated. We've got new listeners and listeners that might not remember. Tell us about Desert Premium Farms, what got you and Alicia, your wife, into farming. Uh, thanks, Julie. Yeah, uh, we own and operate Desert Premium Farms along with our partners, Kent and Jenny Inglet. And uh, we're based out of Yuma and farm all over Yuma County. Uh, we farm about 2,000 acres uh, year-round, so we'll typically have uh, two crops off of their uh, winter crop like vegetables, a uh, spring or fall crop uh, like cantaloupes or that sort of thing. Um, then we grow uh, typically on a typical year, we'll grow durum wheat, cotton, um, alfalfa year-round, and a few other odds and ends that we throw in there. So uh, we stay pretty busy all year. Uh, now is our slowest time of year for growing crops. 
but it is uh, a busy time of year for tillage as we get the ground ready for uh, uh, plantings coming up here in late August, early September. So we'll be uh, we'll be trucking on through that stuff. And the the main crops that we're growing right now are, are Sudan grass, alfalfa, and cotton. So if you enjoy your uh, denim jeans, then uh, we've got cotton to uh, to make them out of. So let's pick because this is just based on what you just told me. How many crops in a given annual cycle? Let's take one of your fields. What's the potential number of varying crops that can be grown in that one field in a 365-day period? Uh, most fields is going to be two crops, um, and we'll put them in pretty close one behind the other. Uh, for instance, if we're growing a vegetable crop that's going to harvest in November, we'd be planting that in September, but we'd be preparing the ground in June, July, and getting it ready so we make sure we have a good crop in. And that's our high-dollar crop typically. And then our our uh, uh, more volume-produced crop, but we still do a good job of producing it, we'll put it in very quickly behind uh, that crop. So as a vegetable crop wraps up in, in say, November or December, we'll, we'll have another crop planted within uh, sometimes just a couple of days or for sure within a month. So within those, uh, and I think you said that your family partnership right now, you guys are doing 2,000 acres. There's a variety and a variation. It's very diverse, it sounds like, what you guys are managing in a given year. Yeah, it's uh, a good friend of mine uh, regarded it as organized chaos. Uh, We got a lot going on out there in the field. A lot of the the fresh vegetables are hand-harvested. The melons are hand-harvested. Uh, the other crops, thankfully not, uh, but, uh, you know, you got a lot going on to uh, to get it planted, have it ready uh, ready on time, because everything that we're growing vegetable and melon-wise, um, it's not just, well, we'll pick it when it's ready. We actually have a target uh, date or couple of day window that we want to harvest that crop. So uh, we're, we're aiming for that target regardless of what Mother Nature throws at us weather-wise, and we we hit it about 97, 98% of the time, which is uh, uh, takes some doing, you know. It's one of the reasons we farm in Arizona. We have 300-plus days of sunshine, uh, less wa- weather, dramatic weather occurrences, so we can be a little bit more consistent in our production. But you're a generational farmer. Your dad farmed. Talk about this, this legacy of farming in the Boltz family. Yeah, so my grandfather and uh, father farmed in Nebraska, but— Farm economy was pretty rough in the late 70s, early 80s, and my dad decided it was uh, probably better to try farming somewhere else instead of just going further into debt. So he uh, he had studied all over agriculture all over the world when he was in college at the University of Nebraska in their agronomy program. And so he looked at California, looked at Blythe, uh, uh, California, and Parker area, and then looked at Yuma. And he really liked the the year-round growing opportunities that we have. Uh, he had tried to diversify. Uh, he and my grandfather diversified into a wide range of crops. Uh, for instance, they grew potatoes for several years. And my grandfather said, uh, you know, one year we grew potatoes. We made so much money growing potatoes. We didn't think we'd know what to do with all that money. But we planted potatoes the next year, and that took care of that problem. So, <laughs> you know, it's just farming. But, uh, yeah, they farmed, and, and my grandfather farmed on ground that his – his parents had uh, purchased when they moved uh, into the United States, uh, but there have been Boltz's farming going back to when 
they started giving people last names uh, in Europe. So that's so cool. So you know, we're talking conventional and uh, organic, and again, one of the reasons I brought you in is because you've done both. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the United States Department of Agriculture's organic food rules. So this is a perfect time to celebrate this diversity of methods of farming. So talk a little bit about why you've done both, why you may do both in the future. What's what's the gig on that one? Yeah, the organic production and producing to USDA's organic standards uh, really provides for uh, consumer choice. Uh, It's been driven by consumers uh, uh, desiring organically produced products and USDA decided to create a standard uh, so that everybody in the country and imports uh, could meet that standard and, and be labeled as such with USDA or USDA uh, certified organic. And um, much like you'd sit down to cook something in your kitchen from scratch and you'd have a recipe, um, there's a recipe for growing things organically. And then there's a, you know a recipe for how you might do it uh, conventionally. Uh, they end up producing a very similar product. Um, in fact, they're frequently the same. If the organic producer has a good fortune, they're going to look very similar. And, um, and it's just a little bit different method of, of producing uh, the same crop. I've grown uh, uh, quite a variety of different vegetable crops organically. Uh, the, the one we grew the most of was spinach, but we've grown uh, uh, quite a few different uh, herbs and different things as well. So. Can I ask why? Because I believe you're not doing organic right now. Is there any? Can I ask why not? Yeah, the, some of the folks that are very, uh, very large organic producers um, are producing probably about what the market uh, can demand right now. And uh, although typically there's a little bit better price for organic produced crops, it uh, it does cost more to to produce that food. Or that fiber, that fuel, organically. So, and that's the proposition. It's a high value crop, and they can, because of what it takes to grow organic, some of the steps they have to go through, they can ask for a premium price from the customer. Yeah, and they need to get it too, because you know it is more expensive. It's more frequently more labor intensive, especially vegetable crops. It's more labor intensive. Uh, weed control, in particular, is is much more challenging. You have to plan ahead. Uh, do some particular weed control steps in advance of uh, planting the crop and during the crop uh, that conventional producers don't have to do. So uh, in some ways it's less efficient, uh, but it is, again, uh, growing it to a standard that is uh, based on consumer preference. Some interesting data here from the USDA. Basically, the organic food rule allows certified companies to feature, quote-unquote, a USDA organic seal on their packaging. And since this seal was approved, it has helped U.S. organic food markets expand from less than $8 billion in sales in 2000, only 21 years ago, to more than $50 billion in 2019. So there is a demand, and there has been an increase, obviously, over this 21-year, 22-year period. And then the goal of the USDA certified organic designation simply fortifies trust in the fast-growing organic market. When they began that process, uh, as I talked to farmers, it was a very fragmented market. market. This USDA-certified organic seal has uh, clarified that a little bit. And we'll talk more about that, right? I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about what the Secretary of Agriculture, who oversaw the organics, 
label destination, a gentleman by the name of Dan Glickman, said, quote, let me be clear about one thing. It's not a statement about food safety, nor is organic a value judgment about nutrition or quality. So, so if it's none of those things, then why do it? We'll talk about that right here at Rosie on the House. Now you're feeling kind of hungry. There's no reason to panic because Mother Nature's got a brand. It's called organic. That's organic. That's organic. That's organic. Continuing our conversation here with Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman Julie Murphy and Desert Premium Farms owner and uh, local agricultural John Boltz joining us from Yuma, one of well, one of many prides of Yuma, the biggest lettuce producer in the country, and uh, one of the biggest uh, citrus producers left, uh, you know, since most of Maricopa's is now rooftops, you guys have <laughs> taken over the citrus market. Yep. Yuma's still growing a decent amount of citrus and, and a lot of fresh dates as well. Oh, the dates are wonderful. The jewel dates. So answer our question that we signed off on this first segment about that quote from Dan Glickman, who used to be in the Clinton administration, was their secretary of ag. And he says, Organics is not a value judgment about nutrition or quality. Yeah, I, th I think he was making that statement uh, because you want to be factually accurate, right? That's what we would hope from our government. And the reality is the crops that you're growing, um, you might plant the same exact variety, the same exact seed. It just may have been produced organically or conventionally. But when you grow them, you're growing them with different methods. But it doesn't really produce a completely different product. Uh, the crop doesn't care what type of nitrogen is supplied to it, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, the the pest control is different, that sort of thing. But it's not a judgment in, in value. If people choose to buy organic, that's a that's a choice. It's like preferring a brand, basically. Um, it doesn't produce necessarily a better product. And one, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag saying one is better for the environment than the other. Um, so there are pluses and minuses to both production methods, and uh, there's value in both. And the most important part is you got a good edible product or, you know, something you can wear in the case of organic cotton, things like that. So um, it's, not a, it's not a value judgment, and, and people who choose to go that route shouldn't judge other people who say, you know what, I'm not going to buy organic. And, and also the growing standards. It's just two different methods, just like you said, Julie. My perspective's always been non-organic is not eating. <laughs> I mean, <Right. laughs> that, that's what's not organic is not eating. All right. I mean, you got to eat. And, you know, what organic versus not organic as it relates to the physical crop, I mean, this what's not considered organic, I mean, it's not like it was, I mean, it still had to come from somewhere. It's still of this earth. It's still of it. I mean... Even as synthetic, it's it's still created from materials, minerals here on Earth. And I, <laughs> and if you go to the definition of organic, it is a living organism. Anything that's living is organic. So when somebody says organic cotton, do you grow it? I said, well, yeah, because it's a living plant originally. But my dad did not grow organic cotton in the organic method so but we in arizona i gotta tell you we got some fun stats we're kicking butt with our organic so we have one of the most or, 
amazing organic farmers here in the state of Arizona. That's uh, Arnett Duncan of Duncan Family Farms. So some of the stats that we need to hear here in Arizona for our listeners is Arizona's value of sales of certified organic commodities in 2019. Those are the most recent statistics available or figures available. It comes from the ag census, which is only conducted every five years, totaled $203 million compared to $118 million in 2016. So if you calculate that as a percentage that's just under 70 percent increase in this you know short time period the 203 million of sales made arizona the 11th ranked state in terms of certified organic value of sales and then arizona has 62 certified organic farms as of right now which is pretty cool and that's an increase of 24 farms from 2016. So, and the other final statistic I want to rattle off, because, you know, you like numbers more than I do, Romy, but I got to throw in some statistics for you here. Vegetable sales for the organic farming method account for 64% of these organic sales. So it is in the vegetables that we're seeing most of our certified organic. And so that causes me then to um, also ask John, there's a solid representation of our organic fruits and vegetables happening in Yuma. We've just cited that. Uh, Maricopa County and Pinal County. So talk about your conventional organic farming as a general rule. Um, not so much your farm, but just these organic farmers in general. What is driving some of this bigger organic farming in Yuma, Maricopa, and Pinal Counties? Any theories on that? Well, it's it's. Much like you talked about, I mean, these are expensive crops to grow, and people aren't going to grow them if there are not consumers desirous of buying them. So it really is consumer demand uh, driving uh, driving that. You see that ebb and flow a little bit as we go through, um, you know, more challenging economic times uh, because it for some it's a nicety, not a necessity, and. Uh, Food food <laughs> nice dollars city. need to go further, right? So, um, but yeah, there there are some outstanding organic uh, producers still in operation in our state. Our knots, one of them, uh, Duncan Family Farms, and and there are quite a, quite a bevy of them, uh, dozens of them, in down in uh, my home county in Yuma County, and and uh, a lot of great uh, production. And you know, on a good day, or it's hard to tell the difference as far as what's in the box. Now, you mentioned it's a more expensive crop to grow. Does it, is it when the demand is there and you can sell it, is it a more profitable crop for you? Uh, for about 15-year run there, it was. That's kind of plateaued a little bit. If you're following along in our home maintenance calendar, you know that today, August 7th, our Farm Fresh topic is organic versus traditional farming. And uh, let, let's talk specifically. It's a different method. What is the method that's so different in organic farming that you have to follow to get USDA certified? So two of the biggest aspects of, of difference are where the crop gets its nutrients from. So in the case of conventional, you can have 
things that are made from man-made processes, um, such as uh, most of the crops that are grown in the United States and around the world use a nitrogen sequestering process where they take nitrogen out of the atmosphere, which most of us know the atmosphere around us that we're breathing in and out is mostly nitrogen. It's a man-made process that takes that nitrogen out of the air and puts it into a, a liquid or gaseous form that is available to uh, plants to be able to use. And, uh, and that's a pretty remarkable process. And when you're growing organically, you're relying on a natural process, not a man-made process. In other words, it's, uh, that nitrogen is captured by a crop. It's fed to an animal. And uh, the you know, waste product that comes out of the south end of a northbound bovine a cow <laughs> is uh, the principal source. But you also have uh, chicken uh, manure and those sort of things as well that are, that are great sources of uh, the various different um, uh, inputs that we need for, for growing the crop. So your nitrogen, your phosphate, and other minor elements. Um, conventional producers uh, also use organic soil amendments like composted uh, manure as well. And uh, so it's not unique to just uh, organic production. But those are that's the one of the biggest differences. And then, of course, the pest control side of things, uh, Romy. We got um, very... There, there are over a hundred different products that are registered to do to use as pest control uh, for various different pests that that will attack a crop, um, but very few of them work real well. And some of them are pretty dangerous and difficult to use that are available to organic production methods. Whereas conventional methods, in the last thirty years, uh, we've seen a real revolution. Uh, crop uh, protection chemistries have gotten dramatically safer, and uh, and a lot of the old stuff that. Uh, was pretty difficult to work with as a as a handler mixing pesticides and applying pesticides or that was hard on the environment. Most of that stuff's been outlawed in the United States and isn't available to you. Still available in lots of other countries. But uh, those are those are the two big differences. And, and uh, there is one product that we use for both conventional and organic production uh, for worm and uh, thrip control. That's a pretty amazing story that we could talk about on the side if you want. But uh, yeah, that's that's those are the two main differences. So fertilizing, pest control. What about weed control? So yeah, we also as a farmer we'd lump uh, that in with pest control. So you know weed control. And we talked about that briefly before. You have to use a lot of mechanical means. Um, you might use fire. Fire is actually approved. You can use. Uh, you can use uh, natural gas or propane gas and, and use a weed burner uh, to burn weeds. Uh, you also, uh, here in Arizona, where we have a lot of great sun sunshine that Julie mentioned earlier, this in Yuma, we have 360 days of sunshine most years. Um, in fact, there used to be a hotel in Yuma that said your stay is free every time the sun doesn't shine, and they didn't <laughs> give out very many free rooms. So uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a pretty sunny place down there, and Maricopa County isn't far behind, but you can lay out plastic across the soil and kill all the weeds that are in the soil underneath uh, the the top of the bed and then peel that plastic off, and that's a method called solarization. It kills all those things. But there's a lot of different processes that organic producers in, uh, use in place of the ability to use safe and effective herbicides like a, like a conventional producer would. And this, the thing that I always found fascinating is sometimes there's an assumption that the USDA certified organic rule is 
is assuring and guaranteeing some of those food safety issues. It's Again, it's guaranteeing the method of farming. Uh, the conventional farmer and the organic farmer, even if he wasn't organic, is highly regulated in what he can and cannot use. And that's the thing that we have to uh, stress with our listeners is that, you know, even <clears throat> that list of chemicals, man-made chemicals that you might apply, whether it's the fertilizer or the pesticide, it's highly regulated by the federal government, state government. And, the, you know, the organic guy, farmer has to adhere to that also. Can you use Brondo in organics? Uh, I don't believe it. It's got electrolytes. So I, I, you'd have to tell me about Brondo. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Is this an advertisement? No, you either got it or you didn't. It's from a movie. Oh, uh, okay. Where somebody's frozen and 500 years comes back and he was an average guy. And 500 years later, he's suddenly the smartest guy in the world. And they can't figure why their crops aren't growing because it's been so commercialized. They've convinced that, that they need to use Brondo to grow their crops. And their crops are all dead, and they can't figure it out. It was a it was a silly reference to a parody movie. So, when you're growing organics, one of the most interesting things you said during the break is you couldn't just say, "All right, you know what? It's a great market. I anticipate next year for organics. I'm going to start today." No, you had to start three years ago. Yeah, no matter what you do in farming. Uh, it's kind of cliche in agriculture, but a lot of people, because a lot of people have said it, but there's no such thing as, as fast food, and you can't make quick changes in methods. Uh, so, yeah, you have to have the ground be uh, laid out of conventional production for three years, or another way of doing it is you can grow organically for three years, but you can't sell it that way. You can't sell it as certified organic. The first year, you you have to sell it as conventional. The second Two years, if I remember correctly, you can sell it as transitional. Uh, so little, you're basically telling the, the consumer, hey, I grew this crop with organic methods, but it's on a piece of farm ground that was farmed for however many years, and now I'm in my second or third year of transition to organic. And a lot of people that are clued in and supportive of the organic uh, method of producing crops key in on that and go, I'm going to buy that that transitional stuff because that's helping a farmer who's transitioning more ground. So, you know, that's those are inside inside buzzwords for people that are really clued into and, organic. The three year rule is pretty standard. Yeah, yeah, that's it's that's part been of the, the standard. Rule. It's part of the rule. There there are some minor exceptions to that for like greenhouse grown things and, and that sort of thing where they're you're growing them in containers and soils. But but if you're talking about what you would think of as agriculture, a large, expansive field and, and planting the crop, uh, yes, three years. Well, John, since you're all conventional right now, don't we have a right to criticize you with the environment? Well, uh, you could. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think either one of the methods is necessarily better or worse. Um, you, you have to kind of – there are pluses and minuses to both. And like any choice we make – you're producing something. So you have to take uh, uh, take what you get as a product and say, is it worth what all the inputs were and the, and the way we went about it? Uh, I think in general it is. I don't know too many people that can get by without food. Um, and uh, and I think either way of producing is, is quite good. A lot of people key in on what herbicides uh, or insecticides uh, or fungicides, conventional 
farmers are able to use. Um, but most of those people are not aware that over the last 30 to 40 years, we've seen a dramatic revolution in uh, what we call in the business, what we call crop protection uh, chemistries, whether they be a fungicide for killing fungi that might attack our crop or an insecticide that's killing uh, insects. And and ironically, uh, spinach is one of those things that gets sprayed a lot. And the a lot of the crop that I grew organically was uh, for years was spinach. And um, you spray organic spinach a lot more than you spray conventional spinach. You spray it a lot more times. The problem is, is a lot of organic pesticides aren't that effective. They're just not not that good of a pesticide. So you're you're treating a lot of times, not getting a whole lot out of those treatments, but it's all you have. And you want to make sure that you make a marketable crop. As I mentioned before, you have months of preparation and growing the crop and everything else. Um, you need to make sure you make a crop at the end of the day and have something to sell to recoup all or most of your money uh, and hopefully make a profit if you're if you're lucky. But uh, regarding pest control and organic uh, production, there's a there's an old adage, and if there's farmers listening, they're especially if they're organic farmers, they're going to roll their eyes a little bit. But um, all of us have heard it or said it. But uh, there's an old adage that it's it's or don't panic, it's organic. So sometimes you go out into those organic fields, and there's a lot going on pest wise. And if you also look at conventional crops, you go that'd be a real simple fix with a really safe great insecticide and you can't do anything about it and you have to just watch the crop get eaten up a little bit and it is what it is. Crop biologist Steve Savage says that organic farming is not the best way to farm from an environmental point of view. And again, this is just his opinion, but he is a crop biologist. There are now several cutting edge agricultural practices which are good for the environment, but difficult or impossible for organic farmers to implement within the constraints of their rules with the organic rules. So it's not so much about um, what can and, well, it is about what can and can't be done, but sometimes it's the constraints of the rule. Now, what I have learned from some of my organic farmers is they're like my conventional farmers, is they're so innovative with their strategies to manage pests that sometimes, and within those rules, which are hard and fast, that they can be successful at it and keep working it. But I tell you, you have to be a gifted farmer for both me- methods then to be able to turn you know, a slight profit on this. So um, whether they're conventional, whether they're organic, amazing farmers doing amazing things here in the state of Arizona. Um, what do you see for the future of organics in terms of market, consumer demand, uh, what's going on now, uh, what will take place in the next several years? I think it's a little bit difficult to say. I don't have a great crystal ball. Um, many of us in agriculture have to be reactionary. Uh, after all, we're growing, a, we're growing a crop, we're growing food, we're growing fiber that, you know, it has to be based on what consumer um, consumers are looking for. So we have to be responsive to that. And, you know, I'm not passing judgment on one versus the other. I'm just trying to present some facts. So uh, for my preference and for my family, we, we, I've produced both and, and I, um, I will buy organic if that's the only thing available, but uh, I typically buy all conventional. And uh, I, I think over time, 
the science and, and everything will will lay out that they're pretty comparable. And if you believe in one versus the other, that's fine. But I do think we're seeing a little bit of a plateau in demand. Um, it is more expensive to, to buy, to produce and to buy uh, organic products. And it's, you know, I, I, I think that's rounding off a little bit. We're seeing a little bit of a plateau in consumer demand, um, especially as food becomes more expensive and, and people have a wide variety of choices. Uh, I would like to hope that everybody's basing it on good information and that they've looked into the information and the facts and made a, made a decision. But uh, I don't know if it's always based on that for consumers. John Boltz, Desert Premium Farms out of Yuma and Julie Murphy, Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman. One more segment here in the Farm Fresh Hour. Time is always against us, Julie. Oh. We never have enough. I mean, we've got four pages of information to go through. I don't know that we're halfway through the first page. Oh, I think we did good, though. I We shared some of the fun Arizona organic statistics. And, John, what I wanted to ask you, what's what's a, your wrap-up statement? Yeah, regarding this ongoing debate, and we're not going to settle it here, but this ongoing discussion about conventional versus organic I think it's kind of a waste of time. I think the thing people need to focus on is that in our country, we are so blessed. We have the most abundant, affordable food supply that humanity's ever seen here in this country. And uh, farmers, whether they be organic or conventional, put their level best into it. We follow the rules. We do things right here in the U.S. And uh, that's why the, the, the crop that you see and the food that you see in your store and on your store shelves is just – you know, it's amazing. So, you know, do yourself and do your neighbors a favor. You know, don't don't be critical about one versus the other. And uh, I think it's important that we just all eat a well-rounded and healthy diet and be thankful for what we have and worry about maybe some other things in life that are that we need to worry about. Amen. And our uh, membership in Arizona Farm Bureau is we represent conventional, organic, biotech. My dad grew biotech cotton. I confess that on the air. <laughs> and <clears throat> we're it, very diverse. Does it wear any different than <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't wear it doesn't. I haven't we've not been able to tell the difference. And we we also represent a very diverse group of people in terms of size. Our members are small, direct market, some of the most amazing organic farmers that I know reside right here in Arizona. Bob McClendon's from McClinton McClendon Select, I think of, um, and I mentioned Arnett Duncan with Duncan Family Farms. Now they're larger, so we have uh, small farms, we have large farms, we have uh, co- uh, corporate farms. They're family owned, but they might have been incorporated. Um, I think of the Hickmans. Uh, they're a family farm, but they're a big farm. <laughs> so our uh, membership in the Arizona Farm Bureau is very diverse, and we invite anybody and everybody to join us. It's a fifty nine dollar. Uh, a year membership if you don't if you're not a farmer john we charge him a higher price it's 180 bucks a year because he's a yuma farmer and uh, maricopa county is 180 the rest are 142 dollars but when um and i'm a member i drink the the sham the organic champagne or organic wine because i so believe in what arizona farm bureau does, I decided I'm going to keep my ag membership, not just, you know, our family didn't farm anymore. 
But um, it's a real value proposition in terms of the member benefits. And then we've got people like John Boltz, who's our first vice president, by the way, for Arizona Farm Bureau, uh, advocating for us on behalf of the industry. And that's really what we need. And um, it's pretty exciting. So, And then we should be talking a little bit. You brought it up, Romy. Thank you so much. But we've just released our Centennial Red and we partnered with Yavapai College's Southwest Wine Center, and they actually are teaching students the whole gamut of wine production, including growing wine grapes. And um, our students developed this red blend. It's a wonderful blend with a variety of mills. So you can, whether you're having pasta or you're going to have a steak that evening, this Centennial Red works really well. And where you can purchase it is at the wine tasting room at the Southwest Wine Center up north and at Yavapai College. So that's something that we can celebrate because we're celebrate, er, celebrating Arizona Farm Bureau's 100 years. Been here for some time, and, and, and we're planning, the staff is planning the next 100 years. <laughs> Excellent. And next hour, I won't jump into it, but we're going to talk about water resources. That's a big part of the next 100 yes. years. But just real quick, we have about a minute and a half left, um, specifically... Uh, glyphosate and GMOs, genetically modified organisms. Um, we didn't name those specifically. We, we would need hours to sit here yes. and talk about those. Well, just in, in 30 seconds, your mindset on those. Don't worry. There's other things bigger and worse in this world to worry about. Glyphosate is uh, vetted. It's uh, federally regulated. And uh, farmers would not be using it if it was putting the risk risk on our lives. That you know, our farmers they eat what they grow. So uh, it's because it's so high, highly regulated and so carefully vetted. It's nothing to be worried about. I kind of like your statement. There's other things we need to be worrying about than than some of those things that are a little bit trumped up and falsely laid out to the public. Yeah, and I just say if if People want to come out and, and see firsthand what the use of some of these products is like. You know, they're always welcome to reach out to me on social media, come down to Yuma and show them around. Um, no one should be concerned about glyphosate or biotech crops. They're perfectly safe, and uh, and they actually save a tremendous amount of pesticide use. Yeah. And you know, certain news outlets and especially, like you mentioned earlier, attorneys would have you believe otherwise. When you go see it firsthand, you're really like, oh, wow. There's nothing here. This is eye-opening. <laughs> it's a revolution. So uh, get in touch with uh, Desert Premium Farms and check it out yourself. Or you know what? Grow your own. That's great, too.